We are in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 1. That's page 914 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. Acts chapter 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Last week as we came to this text, we said it was a very important text for three reasons. One is that Stephen died for it. The very first Christian martyr died for what has begun to be said and what was read this morning. The whole chapter is really his response and his defense, but he died for it. The second thing that we find is that the religious leaders murdered him for it. They murdered Stephen for these words. And thirdly, it's the longest account in all of the book of Acts that's recorded for us. There's significance in this section of Acts, great significance there. We said last week that there was an accusation that came against Stephen and for which that defense of chapter 7 begins to talk about here. That accusation that was made is that Stephen had said, because I think Stephen had heard Jesus say it, that he would destroy the temple and will change the customs of Moses. We talked about it last week and came to the conclusion, or at least I came to the conclusion in the text, I hope you did as well, that yes, in fact, Stephen did say that. He did say that Jesus would destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses. But the kind of destroying, as we ended last week, the kind of destroying that Stephen was talking about and that Jesus was talking about was the kind of destroying which ultimately was a fulfilling. And what Jesus was saying is, I am the temple now. There's no need for this temple anymore. This temple was merely a picture, a shadow of what the true reality was. And the temple now, the place that we meet God, Anyone who is to meet God, must meet God, is in Jesus. It isn't in a sanctuary. It isn't in a temple. It's in Jesus. You can only meet Him, God the Father, through the Son, the true temple of God. That's what all of those pictures were about, was Jesus being the fulfillment of that, destroying it because he fulfilled all that it signified and continues to do that. Now, what I want to do this morning before we come to the table, what I want to do today is I want to ask the question, what God do we meet? What God do we meet in Jesus and through Jesus? This text this morning, we only read a couple of verses, but go back to it with me this morning. In fact, go back to a section that would be easily to slide by, because it says there, and the high priest said, are these things so, Stephen? And then Stephen begins to give his defense to that accusation that he said the temple would be destroyed and the customs of Moses would be changed. This is what he says, brothers and fathers, hear me, the God of glory And just stop there, the God of glory. You could easily just think he was just kind of getting warmed up here. 
And we want to get to the meat of what he had to say. But I think that is incredibly significant where he started. He didn't just do that to add words to what he was going to say. He said, the God of glory. And I say to you, that's the God we meet. That's the God, the God of glory. Now, glory of God is a hard thing to totally define. What is the glory of God? What is it? Um, one person is said, tried to be all-encompassing, saying it is the beauty of God, and I think he's right. It is the beauty of who God is. It is who he is, but he is so huge, and there are so many dimensions to that beauty. It is all of who God is. It is majesty, it is greatness, it is wonder, it is amazement. It is, it is ultimately that he's just like nothing we know, really. Nothing. He is, he is other than us in so many ways, in so many dimensions. The glory of God. That's, that's a term that's just hard to get your mind completely around. But that is the God. The God of glory is the one we meet. Now, it's interesting to me, um, you start to read this message of Stephen, this defense of Stephen, and he is really coming to the point of declaring that Jesus is the righteous one. The one you killed is the righteous one. He's the Messiah. Say Messiah. He says the righteous one. But really, he's, he's declaring the gospel to them. But it's an interesting way he does it. He starts out with the term God of glory. He doesn't start out with come to Jesus. It's not where he starts. And I think it's significant. In fact, we need to be careful that we don't start out the gospel with, you need Jesus, you need to come to Jesus. We need to tell them who this Jesus is reconciling them to. Because if we do not tell them who this Jesus is reconciling them to, it can have grave consequences. And I think it does have grave consequences today in our age. We short circuit. We have too small a gospel if all we do is say, come to Jesus. We need to tell them who this Jesus is bringing them to. And he is bringing them to the God of glory. God started there. Stephen started there in this discourse. The God of glory. What's he saying in doing that? What he's saying outright, right away, is we're not the center of this thing God is doing. We think we're the center of everything, don't we? Particularly in 21st century America, in Western society, we think everything revolves around us. Everything runs through us. And if we're not careful, the danger is we carry that over to the gospel and think it all begins with us. If we just go to come to Jesus, but we don't talk about the God of glory we really get a distorted picture of this whole thing. I think we must, first of all, start with the God of glory. Because it does several things to us. It, it does several things. First of all, when you start with the God of glory, and we're going to look at what that looks like, this God of glory who came to various people, and what it means to begin with that, and why it's important to begin with that. But if, if, if you don't, if you don't, you get a kind of take-it-or-leave-it kind of attitude about the gospel. 
Well, I'll take it as long as it does something for me, but I might cast it aside later if it's not doing what it should do. The whole idea of the absolute necessity of Jesus won't make as much sense to you if you don't start with the God of glory. If you don't start there, you're going to be in trouble as you go along. It also does something about our our cleverness and our arguing, our debating about this God. There's a sense in which our age wants to argue and wants to be clever and wants to do kinds of things and even carries that over to their God concepts. But there's something about when you come to the God of glory and you begin to see the God that Jesus reconciles to you, your cleverness and your arguing arguing just kind of falls away. It, it just is gone. That, that pride within us is humbled in ways that cleverness just isn't part of the game anymore. Um, we must be undone, essentially. We must be undone. And that's what I think Stephen is doing here when he talks about the God of glory because that's exactly what happens when you see the God of glory. He undoes you in ways that makes fleeing to Jesus make sense like it never makes sense without it. It makes sense to the point where you know there aren't multiple roads. This is the only road. When you're undone like that, you don't see anything but Jesus and what a treasure that he is in your life. You see, it has to do with seeing ourselves when we see this God of glory as vile, as unclean, as undone. We repent in dust and ashes. We see ourselves worthy of nothing, nothing but damnation and being cast away from the presence of God. When you see the God of glory, that's what happens. And so then when Christ is lifted up, it makes all the difference in the world to you. You see him as you never see him except you understand he reconciles you to the God of glory. I think that's why Stephen began here. I looked and thought about my own experience with Christ as I came to him when I was 18 years old and struggled in those early years of my walk with him for a, for a time. And I think much of my struggle was, I think genuinely God had, had done a work in my heart, but I really hadn't seen the God he reconciled me to the way I needed to see him as the God of glory. And what changed all of that is when I started to see the God of glory, the God to whom this Jesus had in fact reconciled me to, when I started to see him, As the God of glory, it just solidified things in my life as if they'd never been, or more than they'd ever been before. So let me just share some examples here this morning, and then we're going to come to the table, of what it was like for people to encounter this God of glory. Particularly as we go back to the Old Testament. Remember Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve in the garden? And they heard God's voice 
They encountered the God of glory after they had sinned, and it says they hid. They hid themselves. They, they ran from the presence or attempted to run from the presence of this God of glory. You hear about Jacob in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. Jacob awakens from a dream, a dream that God had worked in him. And, it, and he has this response. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And Jacob was afraid. He encountered the God of glory in that experience. He knew he had encountered the God of glory. And he was afraid. You go to Moses in the book of Exodus. And in that particular book, as Moses encounters the burning bush, what's his first experience with the burning bush? His first experience as he sees the burning bush is to go to investigate it. But very quickly he hears, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And no longer did Moses worry about investigating. The scripture says Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. He encountered the God of glory. Then we go to the book of Job. And maybe you even want to turn there to the book of Job this morning. Job chapter 38 is what I want you to look at with me if you have your Bibles. Um, In Job chapter 38, we hear God's answer to Job. Job, you know the story of Job, most of you, that he... he, he, uh, had difficulty come into his life and, and uh, friends come around him. And, and for a good period of time, Job, Job accepted that and lived with that. And then toward the end of the book of Job, he begins to, he begins to murmur a bit, begins to murmur against his God a bit. And then in chapter 38, it says, The Lord answers Job. The Lord answers Job. Job encountered the God of glory. And if you turn past chapter 38, you come to, to uh, chapter 40. And it says there, and God says, as he concludes his encounter with Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. You see, Job is and then all of a sudden God says, He encounters the God of glory. And this is what Job says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, I will not answer twice but I will proceed no farther. And then you go down to chapter 42 in verse 2. It says, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Now my eyes see the God of glory as though I've never seen him in the past. 
And it says, therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He encountered the God of glory. And then you go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. A familiar passage in that particular book where the Lord declares, holy, holy, holy. And this is the response of, of Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the God of glory, is who he saw. And that's what happened to him. The psalmist in Psalm 46, we we have a nice text that we sometimes want to soothe ourselves with in Isaiah chapter 46. A, a, A text that says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. But that's not the way it should be read. What that text and how it should be read is, be still and know that I am the God of glory. That's how that text, that's the inference of that psalm. Be still and know that I am the God of glory. And then in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17, John, the revelator, said this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When I saw the God of glory, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. The New Testament, Peter, fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus comes and says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And Peter debates a bit, but he does it. And then the cast and the catch is so large that they can't pull it in. And what's Peter's response? What's his response? I mean, he had been with Jesus for a time, but now he saw the God of glory in Jesus. And he said, Get away from me, for I am a sinful man. I am a sinful man. Who does this Jesus reconcile us to? The God of glory. That's why Stephen started with those words. The God of glory. In fact, he was laying the groundwork there when he said the God of glory. And he goes on to say the God of glory appeared to Abraham. And he appeared to Abraham when Abraham wasn't in the promised land. And the rest of that particular chapter, he's laying the groundwork for the next chapters when the gospel will go to the Gentiles. Remember the the, the, uh, statement to Abraham, I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing to the nations? That was going to be fulfilled starting in the next chapters of the book of Acts. That the gospel was going to go to the nations. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It wasn't that God was contained in their temple as they thought. But he was the God of all peoples. And he was the God of glory. A God that could not be contained by a temple. But, but Stephen is laying that groundwork here. He's laying it in that text. The God of glory. The God of glory. Do you, do you know 
that it's Jesus who reconciles us to that God? You see why it is absolutely imperative that there are not multiple ways for that to be done? When you see the God of glory, when you see how undone you are, the gospel just burns brightly to you. Turn with me to Acts, or excuse me, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the text that was on the screen this morning, and then we're going to come to the table. We're going we're to come to this God of glory and his grace. But the text that was on the screen this morning, the text that comes at the end of this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. And the thing that I underline to you, even as I read it, is God must do this. God must do this. I, I don't know that I've ever felt as, as keenly that God has to move on the hearts of people. And what God has to do on the hearts of people is help them to see the God of glory and then to see themselves. You see, this whole gospel is, is first about the God of glory. It certainly has connections to us. Great, wonderful connections to us. But it doesn't start with us. It starts with Him and His glory. This God of glory. And God has to somehow help us to see us in light of that God so that then the gospel begins to shine brightly. The scripture says, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We, we need to get that first, the glory of God. We must get it firmly in our minds. The glory of God, in one sense, must undo us. It must undo us if we are going to see the second part of this, the God of glory in the face of Jesus Christ. It will be ho-hum when you read that text, except you've been undone first by the God of glory. Been undone, absolutely undone. And then along comes this message that you can actually be reconciled to this God. And in fact, he participates in the reconciliation, the God of glory himself. It's not as though the God of the Old Testament was one God, the God of the New Testament was another, because the same God that undid Moses undid Peter. One God, the God of glory. But you must see the God of glory. You must see him so that you can see yourself, so that you can be undone. And see how absolutely essential and precious all that this represents to us is. If not, it's too easy to walk away. It's too easy when it gets difficult to say, it's not adding much to my life now, I'll go find something else, thank you. But when you're undone, and you know what caused the undoneness to be cared for in your life, you don't walk away from it. It is precious to you. So the question I have asked and the question I asked this morning, are you reconciled to the God of glory? Does this represent to you your reconciliation to the God of glory? And certainly, we hear words like this. These are the things that that beckon us after we've been undone. Words like, come to me, all you that are weary 
and heavy laden. Why are you weary and why are you heavy laden? Because you've been undone by the God of glory. And I will give you rest. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, that which is undone. That's who Jesus came to seek and to save. That's whom God came after. The very ones that were undone by him are the ones that he came then to beckon to them the gospel that he, in fact, in all of eternity past designed, designed a plan this God of glory, by which he would reconcile a sinful, vile people to himself. That's the gospel. And it won't be glorious except you know the God of glory, that God begins to show you more and more the God of glory and yourself in relation to that. We're going to come to the table this morning. Worship team is going to lead us and play for us as we come. The invitation has been given to you this morning. I hope that you've reflected upon it. We'll distribute these elements and there'll be those that'll come and help me do that this morning. This morning as we prayed together at this altar, one of the prayers was that that the reality of God and what he has done would be as tangible to us as these elements are that we will hold in our hands. As real to us as these physical elements. An event happened in history. An event that's dated in time and place and in space. Where an event occurred outside of us whereby this God of glory reconciled us to himself if we're in Christ. I hope you know that reality and I hope this, this time together strengthened that in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to this table. Thank you that we can be reminded of what brought about our reconciliation anew and afresh. We are thankful, Father, that on the night that your son was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup and when he had blessed it, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink in remembrance of me. Drink in remembrance that I have provided reconciliation to the God of glory. Lord, help us even as we participate in this time, to be strengthened by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus took bread. He broke it. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I invite you this morning to take the elements and to hold them We'll distribute them or partake of them together.
silent before his accusers as thorns are pressed into his brow they lift him up See the spikes that hold him. Redeeming blood flows down. important that we realize we're reconciled to the God of glory. He is glorious. He is beautiful. He is other than us in so many ways. But he also came near. And I think one of the places where we see the glory of God most vividly is that that same God who was offended by us, that we committed cosmic treason to, that we should be undone before because of our sin, died for our sin, took the penalty of our sin. And so the glory of God is most clearly seen, I think, in the face of Christ. The beauty of a God who is all that we talked about, all that Moses and Adam, Eve, Jacob, Job saw came near and said, Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your undone soul. Take and eat and be grateful.
Jesus declared, this is a new covenant in my blood. Again, take in remembrance. So the promise of Romans chapter 8 is God before us, who can be against us? No one.
no one. Take and drink. Be grateful. Let's stand and pray together. Father, I thank you that those that you let light shine in darkness in their hearts, you first cause to see the God of glory. And it's that very undoneness that makes that light so precious makes Christ so precious. So I pray this morning, Father, that that we will go from this place realizing that we have been reconciled if we are in Christ to the God of glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in God's